Welcome to the Spirit Anointing the Word, the podcast of Highland Church, Jamaica, New York, with Pastor Subash Cherian. We're so glad to have you with us today, and we're excited about God's Word because it gives us strength and hope for each and every day. Let's listen as Pastor Subash shares this powerful message. Father, we're so grateful that we can gather here this morning. The opportunity and the privilege that we can come together corporately, openly, and to proclaim your goodness and to proclaim, oh God, that you are God, our Father, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We take this moment to give you glory and honor, power and majesty for all that you are and all that you do for us. We gather, oh God, to recognize that we owe you our very existence and our very lives. Thank you for your goodness, your mercy, your grace, your protection, your provision, and answered prayers and day-to-day mercies. Now, Lord, as we gather together with precious ones here and those that are watching, won't you, Lord, reach out and touch lives today. Even as we minister, minister, Lord God, to us through your spirit, through your word, and directly or indirectly, meet the needs, touch lives, because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We believe that, Father, and we recognize the great grace that you give to us through him who gave his life for us. And we give you thanks and praise and worship through Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. God's people said, Amen and Amen. Give the Lord a clap offering. It's good to be here this morning. And what an opportunity that we can again gather openly without fear and to worship and to praise and to come here and to minister to God and to be ministered by his word and then continue to minister and lead ministering the gospel. I want to continue on the book of Revelation, chapter 22, talking about the flow of the river and the tree of life. And he that is a thirst, let him come. But something that arrested my heart was something, that word that we began to do on Wednesday. And I just felt before the last leaf falls, 34 of Isaiah, tells us. Before that happens, I just want us to extend an opportunity to precious people that would be able to avail themselves of the opportunity to come before basically the open skies and to come in and and enjoy the Wednesday night service. It's just an hour, but I tell you why this is important. I'll be talking about uh, something very important called fellowship. And it's important certainly because It gives us such an opportunity to be able to know and to fellowship and to love one another. The message is short on Wednesday, but the fellowship is uh, awesome. And of course, we have worship. But first, let me tell you that uh, I begin with uh, Acts chapter 2 and verse 44. You can go all the way to verse 47, but in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, it tells us they continued steadfastly, and the NIV version says, and they continued devotedly. That means they were committed devotedly in the apostles' doctrine, and I recall said the apostles' teaching and fellowship and in breaking of bread and prayer. It's four component here, but in verse 47 it says they went to house to house praising God and all of that. But what you find is, and the Lord added to the daily, uh, at church daily, such as should be saved. Coming back to verse 42, four very important things we are told. 
Number one, it is talking about the apostles' doctrine or the apostles' teachings. Number two, it's fellowship. Number three is breaking bread. Number four is prayer. If you were to take and that uh, combination, you find the apostles' doctrine and you're talking about fellowship, though A is these two go together. And then you have the breaking of bread and prayer. That would be the B. I will talk about this later, but first let me say two go together is the apostles' doctrine or the apostles' teaching together with fellowship. Now I want you to understand, I'll be talking about fellowship today, but again I will be speaking how important it is talking about the apostles' doctrine or teaching. Fellowship is important, but not at the expense of what would be apostles' doctrine. That is number one. And it is very important, it's primarily a fundamental uh, foundation upon which the church basically is built because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is telling the, his apostles to go out and preach and so forth. And he gives them the command. And what they do is they gather the people. And when you look into chapter 2 and verse 41, because of the Pentecostal preaching of uh, the apostle Peter, 3,000 added. And we don't know when the next verse takes place in verse 42. But then you find that the apostles are teaching. Now, when you look at the apostles' teaching, what in the world do they teach? Obviously, the letter from Paul had not come in. Paul basically is not heard of in those days, nor were the apostles' letters, whether it be John or the Gospel of John or the Gospel of Matthew, and again, the others that were with the apostles like Matthew and Luke, or whether it was Peter or Paul in their epistles, they are apostles, but then there are others you find in Jude and James. They basically, all of this basically composed what would be the New Testament. The New Testament had not yet come. So what exactly was the apostolic teaching? Teaching simply, you can get a glimpse of what you find in chapter 2, way before this in verse 42, and that is to do with Peter's preaching, going to the Old Testament and meticulously going through scriptures after scriptures after scripture. He wasn't telling stories. He's quoting the Old Testament and then bringing back the fulfillment in the New Testament and telling you why Jesus Christ is Lord, why Jesus Christ is the Savior, why Jesus Christ died on the cross and why Jesus Christ was buried and he rose. And so you're looking at an intense Bible study from the Old Testament explaining it with the words and the prophecies that, that had been fulfilled. So when you think about the Apostles' Doctrine, by no shadow of imagination is somebody today who's saying that he is teaching the, and these teachings are his, uh, and it's purely his imagination. Apostolic teaching and Acts chapter 2 and verse 42 is talking about the Apostles that were the first generation that become ultimately the word that becomes uh, the word that uh, the Spirit of God used to give us the New Testament. So this is very fundamental and it's very important. When you look at it again, they become the foundation series on which later on when the words uh, were canonized in fullness of it, you have the scriptures of the New Testament culminating in Revelation chapter 22 all the way to the end. But until then, the order of the day was they would gather together to come to worship the Lord, but they've come to this presence of the Lord, and they're sitting, uh, listening to what would be the apostles' teaching. That is very important. So this goes without saying 
that after that comes the fellowship. Now think with me for a moment. If you read about Acts chapter, Acts, you're going to find Paul preaches a long-winded sermon, somebody falls off. But nevertheless, they listen intently, and the word is they were devotedly continuing or steadfastly continued. It's not half-hearted. It is a full commitment. You can see that even today with the, the Orthodox Hebrews sitting there and reading the scriptures. And this is how studious they are, but that is commanded of us in the New Testament as well. To listen and to understand the word of God. That is very important. How important it is? In fact, Peter goes on to say in Acts chapter 6 and verse 4, that we will give ourselves continually, devoutedly, steadfastly to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Those are the two important things that are very important as he pastors the church. So it is prayer and the ministry of the word. So without taking away from what I want to talk about in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42, going back, it says they devoutedly, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and fellowship. So understanding how important the teachings were, it can get monotonous, but I wanted to understand. They came in, they listened, and they were the new breed of what you call the church or the new believers. Around them were people who hated them. Around them were people who want to damage them. But here were a nucleus of people that beginning with the Pentecost day and then 3,000 being added. And then they had gone into what would be training them, teaching them, instructing them from the word of God. So that being said, I want you to understand what happens is you can sit and look at the preaching and listen to the preaching for an hour, for two hours. And then people go home suddenly. No, that's not what they did. They stayed behind for fellowship. Now this time, not looking at the pulpit, not looking at what would be the preacher or the apostle or the, of those days were talking. Now they were able to face one another. Why is that important? Because they were the nucleus of a new breed of believers. They come from different backgrounds. And soon afterwards, the church that was basically one group, the Hebrew Christians, the Lord intentionally broke them up because they were an homogeneous group. They all were because we are the same kind. We look alike each other. We're from the same tribe. We're from the same background, the same type, the same culture. And the Lord broke them up and simply made them beyond to be Gentile, a large number of Gentiles, ultimately more Gentiles than they would be Hebrew. But it began in the Hebrew fold. And by the time you come to chapter 28 and come to the 21st century, it is nations of different languages, culture. One of the things I wanted to understand is the church could just be there in teaching and then people go away and say hi and by not knowing anybody. And the fellowship is very, very important. How important? Because they needed to know each other. They needed to appreciate each other. They needed to strengthen one another. They needed to encourage one another. They needed to find out how we can be of help because each one were their brother's keeper. And this is missing so much in the Western part of Christian movement. And we need to bring that back. And I'm, when I talk about fellowship, it's not a cup of coffee or tea and biscuit and running away. It's more than basically breakfast, lunch. It is something more. It is fellowship.
And the word fellowship is commonality. The word fellowship simply means people coming together on a common interest. It coming together simply a cooperating or simply companionship or simply coming together in the commonness and, and, and interest together. And there are many things that are interesting that people can get together, but in this case, their love for the Lord and their love for the Word and their love for the worship of God makes them unique in spite of the differences. Understand, by the time you come to the end of Acts chapter 28, they are what we Highland Church, people from all different backgrounds, all different culture, all different language, all different racial barriers. And I want you to understand it could have meant the difference would have meant the division, which was what was taking place, a set of on the totem pole, I am number one, you are number two, and you are number three, you're number four, absolutely wiped out in the Christian circle in the uh, uh, New Testament church. And one of the things they understood was no matter what people did outside, together they are one, whether they are educated or not, whether they're slaves or free, whether they have money or no money. The commonality was they love the Lord and they love to worship the Lord. They love to hear the word of God and they loved one another and the difference did not divide them. In spite of all the background, the difference actually completed them, not compete with one another. That's what made the difference. And I want you to understand, not at the expense of the apostles' teaching or at the expense of uh, the teaching. Teaching is very important because that sustains the people, that actually equips the people. But then that being said, sitting there and viewing one person or two and looking for looking there can be monotonous then immediately after that they need to know and find out who they are what is the neighbor next to me or the one behind me so this becomes a time for you to be able to look to one another and say excuse me i've not met you who are you and that becomes a unique moment and so we want to create that atmosphere to be able to have the refreshment once pandemic and i want you to understand this if anything, pandemic has destroyed churches. It's not going to for those who believe in the Lord. But literally, it has become the greatest hindrance to the work of God and the gospel like never before. This is Satan's ploy. People say business are destroyed. I will tell you this one thing. The churches are reeling because of the mindset of God's people. We must stay away. Sickness will come. And yet they go to work. Devotedly steadfastly and yet the bible tells us they continued devotedly they continued steadfastly in the teaching and in the fellowship doesn't matter what there was no reason for them to keep away so i want to bring in and hone on the point it's important the teachings but it's also important that we get to know one another and no matter what the difference would be, the difference must make the difference, not for bad, but for the best. We're not here to compete with one another. Each one of us have their preferences. But that being said, you have your own persuasion, be persuaded. But when we come together, above and beyond everything else, it is the Lord and it is the people of God that must be foremost. Give the Lord a clap offering. So I want to say this. 
When you talk about it vertically, our fellowship and everything, the five points I talk about is first to do with spiritual, our fellowship with God, and that becomes the reason and the basis of our fellowship with one another. Not over political party, we may differentiate there. Not over race, color, language, nationality, we will differ there. But it is on the basis of the Lord for the love of God, for the love of his lessons and the word of God, we have more in commonality than anybody else that we can find. So I want you to understand that when I'm talking about this, number one that I want you to know is vertical. It is towards God. And so that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 9 tells us. It specifically tells us God is faithful by whom you are called unto the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you and I are called to fellowship with Jesus. That's whom God, our Father, has given that we would have fellowship with Jesus. He is the captain, the Lord of our lives. And we need to understand that is very important. But that being said, I want you to understand when you turn to 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3, Look at the way John writes it in his letter. That which we have seen, that which we have heard and declared unto you, that you may have fellowship with us. It's a vertical turned into horizontal, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. So our basis that our fellowship with us, with you, is the basis that we are first and foremost in fellowship with the Father and the Son. So not only is it vertical, it becomes horizontal. So again, when you turn to 1 John chapter 1, in, verse, in these seven verses, you have four times this word, fellowship, or the Greek would call it koinona, which is very powerful. It simply means uh, what would be the, the story of this, uh, the movie, the fellowship of the ring, or fellows in a ship, fellowship. It's very powerful. So look at what 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, John the beloved is saying, if we walk in the light as he's in the light, then we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we are in the light, we should walk in the light, and if we do, he's the light, then we have fellowship with one another. We have fellowship based on, that is, in light of the word, in light of clarity, of our understanding. No matter how different we are, we have the sense of the light in the Lord Jesus. So I want you to understand, when you think about horizontal, of course we realize that none of us can live without contact. We are not made to be without contact, we are made social. And so the Lord God acknowledged this when you read Genesis chapter 2 and verse 18. It is not good for a man or for that matter a woman to be alone. You and I need people around us. We need to grow. We need to understand that we grow amongst people. And it's lonely to be without anybody. And God in his sovereign grace brings people to a family, into a society, into a church. 
And you can read that in Psalm 68 and verse 6. It says, God set it the solitary in families, in homes, in church. And this is God doing it because he doesn't want man or a woman or just about anyone to be lonely or ostracized. We all need somewhere we belong. And if they don't find that in a home, in a church, they would join the wrong type of gang or whatever. The desperate need. We have innate being. We need to be with people. And of course, the most important is that we would have fellowship with God. Otherwise, we're empty. So we need to realize when we do that, we must be with like-minded people. Of course, you and I know that uh, flocks of a feather flock together. But look at what it says here in Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20. It says, he that walketh with the wise shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. In the same token, let me say, he that walketh with believers will believe and have greater belief. And those that will walk with people who don't believe and people who hate the Lord Jesus Christ will be destroyed. Their faith would be destroyed. So important that we are that commonality, people that would be of company of people that believe, who love the Lord, who love to worship the Lord, who love the word of God. We love one another because the basis on which we stand, covered by the blood of Jesus, saved by grace, baptized by the Holy Spirit, loved by the Father, makes it so important that you and I have more commonality than our own nationality or culture or race or background. So I want you to realize Five things I want to talk about. It goes, number one, fellowship with the Father and the Son, and then the basis of which we can have fellowship one with another. So number one, I would call it connect and the connecting. What I mean is the purpose for us is to be connected, number one, to the Father. And we must find our connection, and the only way by which we can is through Jesus. That is why he died for us. That is why he gave his life, and he becomes the bridge in the gap that was there because of sin. And so we come to the Father because on the basis of the work of atonement and on the basis of what he did for us, and on that basis, we, when we acknowledge that and accept God as our Father, we have a relationship with the Father as we have with the Son. But that being said, I want you to know we become connected with one another. And that is what God did. Two people that were people or homogeneous people of one kind, Hebrew Christians, and then shook the church. And then by the time you come to chapter 11, it begins to move the Grecians, and then the Italians, and then uh, all the way Libya and Armenia and people from Ethiopia. A lot of people, a lot of colors, a lot of backgrounds becoming members of the church. And the importance was they had to study the word but that after that, they needed to love one another because they are greater than the human family. They belong to the family of God. And so this is the importance of calling. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. And fellowship. So when you look at this connection, that is what Paul is writing about in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 3. 
enduring to keep, and this is what he, the un, keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. How long? Verse 13, till we all come to the unity of faith, till we come to that place beyond the denomination, beyond our preferences, beyond who we are, we must come to that unity of faith, endeavoring to keep the unity of faith. And by the Spirit of God, we can. You know, it's important that particularly in a church like Highland, a large church, we could lose that sense of belonging. We come in and then we leave. That's why we have chosen by God's grace to be able to go out, to have a little get-together. So we bring people together, mix people together. The importance is there are people who have been here for 20 years and not known anyone except one or two. When people pass away, you find that someone who's known to people, suddenly a lot of people come because they know people, they're connected to people. Don't lose that connection. When you're in problem, you can always find a family beyond your own family. There are people that would be there, and I'll explain this connection is so important. But more than anything else, Psalm 133 and verse 1, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together. I know we cannot live together, but dwell together simply talking about a togetherness. And this is what fellowship does. Fellowship brings a togetherness. A togetherness brings friendship. And friendship brings relationship. And this relationship is important. You can never have a relationship without a friendship. You can never have a friendship without a fellowship. And you can never have a fellowship without a togetherness. And this atmosphere to do before or after services become very important because the pandemic has kept us away. And many people are yearning and many people are losing their mind. Many people have lost timings of their life because they have been closed. And that is what Satan has done, apart from the nation of the city, closing down the whole world and jobs and all. But it has done a damage. The children of the world are smarter than the children of light. They've gone back to work. But it's the church people still saying, you know what? It is dangerous. COVID still comes in church between the time we worship. So who do you believe, God or COVID? Who do you fear, God or COVID? It's important that we break the monotony, we break the ring that Satan has done and come and say, I love to be in the house of God. I want to worship the Lord. I want to hear from the Lord. I want to hear the teachings of the word of God. And I want to fellowship. Not just people of my kind, but beyond that, people of every kind that love the Lord, that love the Word, that love to worship God. So I want you to understand this. It is good, it is pleasant for brethren to come together. You and I together make up what we lack individually. So I don't have it all. I would need someone to fill what I don't have. I have giftings, but I don't have all. You have giftings, you don't have all. But that's how the church becomes. 
When you look at what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and uh, what a marvelous way he talks about in verse 21. The eye cannot say to the end, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of thee. We need one another. There's something I want you to understand. They devotedly, steadfastly continued in the apostles' teaching. In other words, two different set. They sat down and they listened. And of course, there were some ladies telling their husband, excuse me, what was Paul saying? And Paul said, okay, woman, just keep quiet until after the service. You can shout out and scream afterwards. Oh, then they say, okay, ladies can't teach. No, what they were saying is at that point, don't talk, listen. You understand? Listen to the word. Immerse the word. Now, after the service is over, shout, scream, make a noise. Excuse me, pastor. That's what happens. Don't you realize that during the time of fellowship, there's that man calling out, hey, Joe, how are you? I said, what's wrong with that? But it's church. I said, it's not church. It's fellowship in the church. That is important. But pastor, it must be like during the worship, there must be silence. No, it must not be silent. It must be people talking and clapping and laughing. That is what fellowship is all about. We come here to learn. We come here to worship. It's not entertainment. It is unto the Lord. But when we meet together, we are able to talk. And on the way, I see Sister Joyce going, Hey, Sister Joyce, bye! I'm talking to three now, but I'm talking to Joyce, the number fourth. It's all in it, that's fine! You know, I can give you an amplification from what Ezekiel was told about the valley of the dead dry bones. You find these dead bones coming together, finding its place. And when you look at how the Spirit carried Ezekiel in a vision, but when you come to verse 7 of chapter 37, so I prophesied as I was commanded, as I prophesied, there was a noise. And behold, a shaking, and the bones come together, bone of his bone. When bones find their own bone, their own party, their own people within the church of God, voila, they're shouting, there's a noise. Let it be. Let it be. When people are like church mouse in a fellowship, who's the word? Either there's a funeral or there is a gossip. Shh, listen to what I heard. Something is very wrong here. If there was a doctor on the scene and a baby's crying, the doctor would say, ah, very normal child. That's what is a fellowship. Isn't there a decorum? Yes. We get together, we laugh, we make the best we can during the short, short moment that we have to know, to love, to express, and to be able to talk with one another or talk with everyone together. This is a time not just facing the pulpit, this is a time of facing one another and say, tell me once again, your story, where do you come from? No, when you look at the numbers of people that come here the other day, Wednesday, I called out a precious woman of God to testify from Grenada. Tina Atterbury was sitting and she heard somebody speaking and she said, I, excuse me, I 
never heard this language before. Of course she comes. They come from the Caribbean. They speak Dutch. So there are so many languages. And she said, I never knew there were people in the Caribbean that spoke Dutch. That is the uniqueness of the church to learn. We're not here to compete, but we're here to complete what you and I cannot. Others will fill up what we don't have. Give the Lord a clap offering. Number two, not only to compete, not only what would be to combine, not only to be able to come together, it is number two to defeat what would be a very difficult, because of our differences, a polarization. In order to defeat the polarization, we need to have the fellowship. But spiritually, there are people that find it difficult to break the ice, even though God on a spot has broken the ice, broken the walls that divided us, people still feel, oh, I don't think I belong to, the, to God's family. They have an orphan spirit. I don't know if God will accept me. My friend, God gave his son. What more could he give you? There's nothing more than the best that he could give to you. Get in touch. Get in fellowship with God the Father. Love him. Enjoy him. Talk to him. Listen to him. But then, when it comes to the church, it's a polarization. Like I said, the church that was a homogeneous church in Jerusalem... God allowed it to be broken up, and by the time you come to chapter 11, chapter 12, and 30, chapter 13, it's totally a group of people, not one was dominant over the other. And of course, the older wanted, the Hebrew Christians wanted to dominate, and God said by chapter 15, no. Everyone on equal footing. No one is a Brahmin around here. Everybody one equal. So what you find is there were differences, color, culture, language, nationality, party, or sports, or whatever. And yet, in the midst of all of this, God brings people, different people with different gifts, different background, to come together, call Ecclesia, the called out ones, not from one group. When you turn to Romans chapter, 50, uh, chapter 12 and verse 4, one body, it could be black, it could be white, it could be brown, but many members, many differences of giftings, of talents, of backgrounds. No two person is alike. And we need to appreciate that. There's a difference, but we must be able to love the difference, knowing that difference is what makes us unique. So I want you to understand what happens is some people, because of their background and because of their training, unfortunately, because they have been told they are the best. They are the Brahmins. They're the first class. Somehow, inadvertently got this message that everybody else is, is lower and they are the superior race. There's nothing like that in the Bible. But the best of people still have it. That comes because of what they have grown on to, passed on to. Take two children and put them together. They don't talk about the colors. They don't talk about the difference. They just love one another for who they are. 
Not about their color, but because they enjoy themselves. They talk, they kiss, they pray together until things are put into their mind. And then the changes come. And inwardly, we bring this about, and there causes a division. Whether in terms of my party is better than yours, or my culture is better than yours, or my heritage is better than yours, my friend, that's not ought to be. But a lesson you can learn from the great man himself, Peter. Peter is the greatest apostle. But my goodness, he was at a point a racist. Excuse me? Yeah. A good man. And there's no reason to hate him. We all are learning or unlearning what we were inherently taught. So when you come to Acts chapter 10, here God is speaking to Cornelius, an Italian, who's superior, at least in the world then, because he's Italian. They were the Congress. And God spoke through the Holy Spirit to Cornelius, I'm sending Peter the fisherman. You know, this man is a centurion. Peter was the conquered. He's a fisherman of all people. But let's go to Peter's corner. And Peter is saying, excuse me, go to Cornelius' house. Do you know who I am? I'm a Hebrew. I'm Jewish. Like God, you got to give me first class treatment. So God had to give him a special treatment, gave him a vision. Different animals, and God said, Peter, go kill and eat. And now he's teaching God. And there are people teaching God about their tradition, their culture, their color. God, there must be a mistake. I do not eat common animals and unclean animals. That is what Peter is telling God in his vision. And God says, what I blessed, don't you ever call common or unclean. That's number one. Get your training away. Yes, there was a time. There was a time when there was a difference. The difference was for a reason. God was preserving through Abraham a Syrian. He's no Hebrew. He's a nomad. He was a nobody in the great Mesopotamian Empire. And God called that nobody out. He was not Jewish. He was, in fact, the word Jewish come out of Jacob. And one of his sons. But here was Abraham, just a nomad, a, hip, a, a Syrian. And God said, I'm going to create a great nation. Why? In verse chapter 12 of Genesis and verse 3, that the nations of the earth would be blessed towards the end. The nations of the earth will be blessed by the seed of Abraham through the seed comes David and out of the seed. And that was the only reason. Nothing more beyond that. It is not a permanent solution. Number one, you're the first class. Or maybe the white, or maybe the brown, or the black. No! There was a purpose for Abraham, and God guarded that only to bring forth a savior, and there's a reason for that. The prophecies must be fulfilled. That's all the purpose. 
But they were told to be separate. So when you turn to Deuteronomy chapter 9 and verse 3, they were told they shouldn't marry anybody else. And by the time you come to Ezra, the man pulled his head out. He was so angry when he took the numbers of people. Then he was told that uh, these Israelis married this one and that one. He said, what's wrong with them? And the kids couldn't speak neither Hebrew nor the other language. And he teased them. That was terrible. But I want you to understand, when you come to the church, it's not based on color or nationality. It is based on believer or unbeliever. Only two classes of people. You're saved or you're not saved. That's all. It doesn't matter what color you are. If you're white, black, or brown, are you saved? Or are you not saved? That's all. So when you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14, here is what Paul writes. Be you not unequally yoked together with an unbeliever. Unequally yoked. Not about black, not about white, not about brown, not about a Democrat not marrying a Republican or a Republican not marrying a Democrat, just in case you think that's the biggest division. It's basically just a believer or an unbeliever. You have unbelievers in the white, in the black, in the brown. You have unbelievers in the Republican, the Democrats, independent. But you have believers everywhere as well. So when you look at it, by the time you come to Leviticus, and that was the dominant situation, Egyptians had slaves, and these people had, then Jephthah had slaves, and Seth had slaves. It goes all the way from Egypt. And so you find the same story being in Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 44. As long as you don't enslave your own people, that was carried on verbatim to Islam. But what does the Christian circle say when you come? No, there is no bond nor free. In fact, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 21, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 21, as much as you can, buy your own freedom. And the early church gathered money together to buy the freedom of their fellow Christians. That was how they looked at, they looked down at slavery. In fact, when you go into the Bible in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 11, Paul is very straight, and this is the biblical rule. There is neither Greek nor Jew, uncircumcision, born nor free, but Christ is all and in all. We're equal. So let's come back to Peter. He had to unlearn something. So when you come to chapter 10 of Acts and verse 28, he comes to the realization. He says, but God showed me towards the end. He says, God showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. In other words, in a roundabout way, he says, I am the product of a faulty teaching. I enjoy reading a great man in the Hebrew circle, one of the greatest minds of the 21st, 20th century. Great teachings until I come to realize in one of his teachings he says, we are created to be the superior, the rulers of the world. Everyone else was created to serve us. Very, very plain. And he goes on to say, we are created from the very presence of God. The others were created not from human, not from God's mind. I could not find anything more divisive than that. That is the mindset. But when you look at the Christian principle, we're created equal. That's there. 
In the Hebrew Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and verse 27, that God said, I'll create man, and in his image created man and woman equal. That's the uniqueness of uh, creation of the apex of all of God's creation. So what do you think about this man? He comes out of Cornelius' house and he says, you know what, God had changed my thinking. I'm a product of a faulty teaching. We're not the best, the greatest, in fact. Cornelius could have said, I'm the best and the finest. Look at the present today. We are the rulers. And he was the more humble one. If perhaps this fisherman could come into my home, I would be so honored. Peter had a learning to learn and a lesson to be unlearned. But when you find this, he realizes God has changed this plan. It was not permanent. And now he realizes things are changing. But when you look at chapter 11 and verse 3, the people who come from the old order question. They're Christians, but they come from the old order, saying to him, you went to the men uncircumcised and did eat with them. What's gone wrong with you, Peter? And then Peter begins to explain, it's not my doing. But in verse 12, he says, the Spirit bade me go, nothing doubting. He's in command. I have my faulty thinking, my political, my nationalistic, my cultural thinking. But my friend, if you're national, your party, your culture, your color, your race is more superior than God, drop it. God is superior than anything else. But by all means, remember, God has made us who we are, and this is who we are. Don't have to apologize, but it never goes beyond God and his word. So now he learns a lesson, but when you come to chapter 18, they reluctantly admit, and they say, okay, they heard these things when Peter told them the story, and they held their peace because they still had questions. They glorified God, saying, thus God also has given the Gentiles repentance, so they made them people of God. Oh, is that something startling for you? That was God's plan altogether from the beginning. That was why the nations of the earth will be blessed through Abraham. But now comes in chapter 11, verse 19 to 20, people are going forth. Now they which were scattered abroad upon persecution, God allowed persecution, so there would be a mixture moving. And there rose Stephen when traveled after about Stephen, as much as Phoenicia and Silas and Antioch, preaching the word to none but to the Jews only. And then when you turn to verse 20, and some of them of the Cyprus and Syrian, when they came to Antioch, they came to the Greeks preaching, and the Greeks and the Italians and the Ethiopians begin to come to the Lord in vast numbers. Now it's not one type of people. It's all type of people belonging to this church. And they're being told, you can't trust that. You can't trust this. We are the superior people. They had to unlearn it and learn to love one another and appreciate one another. That is called fellowship. So Peter, you would have said learned. But the best of people, I cannot tell you the number of good books written by great authors. Great authors. But they had a faulty mindset. When you look back in history, I don't know what else to call them except racist. Good people, good books. We are blessed by those books. 
but their thinking was faulty. And now we know better, but they didn't know that. When you look at this Peter, when you come to chapter 2 of the book of Galatians and verse 11 and verse 12, Paul earlier writes in verse 10, I went and I withstood him to his face. I had to tell this man, he's my chief, he's the bigger guy, but this is just unbelievable. What was wrong in verse 12? He says, for before certain men from James, that's the Hebrewistic top cultural man James, the brother of the Lord, he did eat with the Gentiles, so when he came in, when they were come, he withdrew. Peter just quietly withdrew from the Gentiles and separated himself, fearing, fearing. No, he knew the truth. He was fearing what the circumcision party would say. So much in the next words, he says, even Barnabas, my right-hand man, literally was carried away with this dissimulation. What happened, Peter? But Peter learned. Peter and understanding, he came out of that. But the reason God was able to use someone greater was the word between his ears was bigger and greater. Paul had a greater understanding of a global view, not a myopic village view. Me and my white and me and my black and me and my brown and me and my Republican and me and my Democrat and me and my independent, my friend, forget all of that. Think about what God says. So now he comes to realization it's a bigger world. God says all, and that makes the difference. Again, look at what Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28 says. We read about Colossians. Here, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither born nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. The Greek shouldn't say, I'm better, or the Jew shouldn't say, I'm better, nor the born shouldn't say, I'm better, or the free should say, I'm any better, or the people who are educated should not look down at the uneducated. We're all equal. We're all one in Christ Jesus. We would all be going to hell, no matter what color, what culture, if it was not for the blood of Jesus. That made all the difference. So now we've come to realize how important it is. You know, when you think about it, we have to think, no matter how different we are, we need to love the difference. We need to appreciate one another. We need to recognize and stand up for one another. If we don't, one day we'll have a hard time in heaven. Let me give you a picture of what John saw. In the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verse 9 and 10, look at the description he gives. He says, after this, after all that he had explained in chapter 7, I beheld and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands in verse 10 goes on to say, and cried with a loud voice saying, salvation. I will tell you this one thing. The Africans have their way of saying. The Asians have their way of saying. The Epicureans have their way of saying. The Caucasians have their way of saying. The African-Americans have their way of saying. They have their way of singing. It doesn't matter. The 
the situation is it comes to God as long as it comes before the Lord. Think of this, my friend. The Caucasian wants to get into the African-American corner and said, I like to sing the way you sing. And then they would, the Africans come to the Eurocentric music and say, I like to give praise to God in the European way of saying. There's no fight. There's no competition. We're completing one another because we haven't got it all, but in heaven we have it all. We can give in the fullest sense of glory, in the kaleidoscopic way that God created with the differences of our language and culture and color and costumes and the regality of everything, bringing the highest glory to God. That we all learn from one another and in heaven we will be complete. What is interesting is, it is not about color, it is not about culture, it is about not, not about nationality. There's only one thing. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ gave a story, a parable. These parables have so varied meanings. But in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 11 and verse 12, he gives you this parable about a wedding, a supper. And there is a, a crasher that comes in somehow. But the Lord is using this parable to give you a very important lesson. The king came to see the guest and he saw there was a man which had not a wedding garment. Everybody was dressed in that one garment, garment covered with the blood. This man came with his own color, whether it's white, black or brown, in his own party system, in his own nationalistic or in his own, I don't need anything else, mine, I've always voted, I'm the best. And then the king says in verse 12, friend, how do you come here not having the wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the word goes, throw him into darkness. Excuse me, you do not enter without the garment of Christ's righteousness. That is the most important. You're saved or you're not saved. You're not in between. You must know that you are saved. So this is an important part. In our fellowship together, we're not more saved than the other person. We're all saved by the blood of the Lamb. That is what the main difference is. Now I want you to realize something very important. When you come to this aspect of Revelation chapter 19 and verse 7, the fullness of that meaning comes real. Let us be glad and rejoice, that is all of us, that chapter 7 talks about, all color, all nationality, all culture, all varied costumes, to honor him for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife hath made herself ready. Wife, white, black, brown, American, Hebrew, Gentile, it compounds of all that God has made before the creation of the world. In the variedness of color that God has put that he would get the worship, all things were made for his pleasure, and for his pleasure were all things made. He did it because he loved the colors. And we're not here because of we are the best, we are complete when we come together and we become the wife who has made herself ready. You will never be ready if you think about you are number one and the world revolves around you. We are part 
of the system that God created that would be the virgin, the beauty of all that God desires for the Lamb of God and for this great supper, the wedding of the Lamb. Let me just close with three more very fast. Number, number one, I talked about connection. Number two, I talked about to defeat what would be um, the polarization. Number three, to strengthen us. And this is important. When you look at the word strengthen, I want you to realize how important it is when we gather together, each one recognizes the gift. And on Wednesday, I see it. The evangelism and uh, Marie Santiago goes out with the team. And I see others reaching out. I see you, Eric, reaching out and praying for people. Each one in their giftings are doing. And there's someone who comes and says, you hear what the message was today uh, evening? That's Wednesday. Did you understand what it was? Can I help you? Everyone is working. And there are others uh, welcoming the guests. And I would say this friends, those are here, and those that are watching, if you're here, there's no excuse not to come to church. You know, understand, we don't be in a room. Yes, you can be in your office, smaller than this, is bigger, one of the biggest spaces you could find. That being said, we are out there in the open, and before the winter comes, there's no excuse why you cannot come. This is so important because we need one another. And this is the most crucial moment we need to come in agreement. Matthew chapter 18, 19 and 20. This is what Jesus says, if two of you agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask. Not only as touching, but touching. I can understand remote praying, but how long can you go remote? There must come a time I must join your hands and say, I agree with you in prayer. Pastor, just do it by remote. Excuse me, you go to work, don't you? Come, let's join together. When you look at the amazing aspect of two agreeing together, and verse 20 goes on to say, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am. Gathered together in my name, we need to gather together in his name. Look at what Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 12 says us. It says, if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. And a threefold cord is not easily broken. Where two is there, the Lord becomes the third. Didn't you see that one that is walking through the fires? Where the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that is the one that will be with you. I want you to realize, my friend, there's something called encouragement, and that is what fellowship is. We're here to encourage. Every one of us needs someone to help and encourage us, correct us, strengthen us. And this is important. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25, and this is important. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. When I was praying, the Lord said, urge the leaders particularly to come back. I called my staff right away in the thick of all that was happening because I felt people are going to be, the enemy is going to do a number on many of them. I said, you need to come back to work. The federal still on holiday. I realized my passport, I paid all the money, came so late, and one of them come months and months later. Then I find out they're sitting in their own still. This is federal employees. They love it. 
People love to be in the hope. It's time we get back and begin to bring the nation back together again. I want you to realize this, my friend. For church, we said we need to get back. Then I began to call leaders. I said, you need to get back because there's a morbid fear coming. It's killing people spiritually. Get back, get back, get back. There's a time that you go in and the ark is shut, but there's a time you come out, don't stick in the ark. That's not God's plan. That's over and done with. The river has subsided. Get out! And I began to call people, do it fast before it's too late. Now, I want you to understand this, my friend. It's what he says, for, not forsaking, but exhorting. What is exhorting? Encouraging and strengthening one another. I, I don't want to offend you, precious people. I love you all because you had an audience that are watching online. But I can tell people, of course, Romans chapter 16 goes on to say, kiss one another, we're not doing that. I know the Arabic and the Middle Eastern ways, the male kiss each other, the women kiss each other. We're nuts. There's still the hazy day still. But I can say, give somebody a hug. Will you be hugging your television? That is not church. We got so used to this social media. Give a Facebook a hug. Give YouTube a hug. Give your phone a kiss. That's not the way it was meant to be. That was a necessity during the COVID. Now we need to come out. Thank you for being and watching. But listen, my friend, wherever you may be, you need to go back to your church. This is the time. Give the Lord a clap offering. So it's important we realize how it is. Because look at what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter, 12, chapter 14 and verse 26. It says, how is it then, brethren, when you come together, everyone has a psalm, a doctrine, a tongue, revelation, but it says, let all things be done to edifying, to building one another, to helping. So this moment together, when it's till the winter comes in, we're hoping that you would be there, encourage people, bring your friends. It's the, the least intimidating. You can bring your friends, nobody's going to throw doctrines on them. It's simply a small evangelistic word. Worship is there, and there's a get-together, and this is so important. They are all uh, something that's least intimidating, and yet there is love and grace and the word and people reaching out and ministering and shaking hands and loving them. It's a big, before the winter comes in, and then it's going to be a little late, because if you say, I can't come in a close environment, come to an open environment. The sky is our roof. And the beauty of the green is still there while it's still green. Right. Grab this opportunity and come on a Wednesday. It starts at 7 and closes at 8 with a get-together in between. But let me just say this, the last and the final, that we are stewards. That's number five. We're stewards of our time and stewards of God's grace and stewards of all that God gives that to be a blessing to others while there is still opportunities available. So let me ask you if you could just turn to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. These are days of opportunities. As we have therefore opportunity, 
Let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. This is a great time. You know, today, the person who gave the breakfast at the 8 and 10 is the Cunninghams. They're a couple that basically always comes and offers themselves. I thank God for their generous blessing to the church. And then there are ministries, Marie Santiago and a ministry, and so many hope ministries, so many ministries reach out. And someone says, it's my birthday, I want to contribute a cake, and we want to sing a birthday. We want to take every occasion on a Wednesday or get-togethers just to make it special. So it becomes a time of fellowship around the table. If you don't like coffee, we have tea. If you don't like coffee or tea, you have some soft drinks. And if you don't like anything, then just drink water. We'll be happy. But please come and have fellowship. That's the most important. Let me just say this. When you think about what God has done, he gives you a parable. And in Luke, this is amazing what he says in Luke chapter 14 and verse 17. Look what he says. He sent his servant to supper time, saying to them that were bidden, Come! For all things are now ready. I tell you, when we decided to do this uh, two years ago, just after pandemic, you have no idea we had to take equipments from there. We have to carry things to the lawn. They have to prepare it afternoon. I cannot tell you how much uh, Sherry Y and a team with uh, all these precious one, Candace and Sarah and all of us sit down mid-afternoon. But it's worth it. They know it is worth it, just so that people can gather together on Wednesday. We could do it here, but we're doing it outside so we could have the best opportune moment. And then there is Brother Kenneth, uh, uh, Brother Gumman and Angelo and all the others preparing and putting all these things. It's worth it. It's worth the trouble. I will tell you this, how important it is, because it becomes... All things are ready, come. And that's literally not talking about what we are doing outside. It's talking about God giving an invitation. I've prepared everything, come, receive, and have fellowship with him. You know, there's something about bread, breaking bread. Of course, there's, I'll be talking about really the breaking of bread. That's only for the believers. But this is not that communion. Bread is just uh, basically just having a get-together. But I want you to realize there are point of scriptures that is not without meaning. It is there for a meaning. Let's just take in this passage in Matthew that you find uh, John chapter 6 and verse 9. I'm sorry, John chapter 6. Here's a lad with five loaves and two fishes. Why do you say that? The Lord used that occasion to feed at one time 7,000 and the occasion 5,000, not counting the men and women. That is huge. It's not about big party, five star, or a five-fold meal. No, no, it's just a simple. The most important is after his teaching, they were having a fellowship, get to know each other, get to understand each other. That was the purpose. It's not a luxurious thing. Thank God for this lad. Oh, let's say thank God for his mama who prepared that breakfast. Did she think so many people would be blessed? Jesus is giving us that powerful illustration. Something so important that even when Peter had denied the Lord, it becomes a ticky-tacky situation. How do you approach this situation? Jesus made the first approach. When you turn to John chapter 21 and verse 12, he says, come and dine. And the disciple 
did not want to ask who it is because they knew it is the resurrected Lord, but they also knew it's an intimate moment in the midst when they ran away and Peter when he denied Jesus. What I wanted to understand the way the book of Revelation closes towards the end is Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17. Look at the words. The spirit and the bride says, come, let him that hear it come, and him that is a thirst come, whosoever let him, let him take of the water of, of uh, life freely. It's freely. It is very powerful. It is very tremendous. I like it when particularly life is given like water, eternal life. Isaiah talks about in Isaiah 55 and verse 1, Oh, everyone that thirsted, come into the waters, and he that hath no money, come buy, eat, come buy milk and honey without, without money, without price. And then the verse goes and say, Why do you spend money for that which is not bread? This is the real bread. Talking about the spiritual bread, yes, we're taking the mundane together, and then bringing it to the, from the concrete to the abstract, the living bread. Jesus talked about it. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, man shall not live alone. Man must live alone by bread, and yet not alone, but there is by every word of God. So we need bread, but we need the bread from heaven. There must be a thirst in our hearts for the Lord to fellowship with him and fellowship with one another. What type of a thirst? Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6. It speaks about this thirst. Blessed are they which hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be filled. I want to say this. If it were not for people who cooperate, I preach. Pastor Hans is here and Pastor Val does the worship and then the others help. But I'm so grateful for people, for their liberality. When you think about what 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 13 says, look at what he says. He says, while by experience of the ministration of the glorify God to your professed subjection, towards the end it says, um, for your liberal distribution unto them and to all men, people bring. I mean, they come, bring what they can, because that is shade, and that's amazing. No one asked them. They come in on a Wednesday and say, here, I want to give this. This is for God's glory. And we get together and have a get-together and get together with cups of coffee or tea and drinks, and we say, praise be to God, before the last leaves fall and fade, and before it's winter, I would say long before that, by the time it gets cold, we're going to close this. The opportunity to be out there is not. So I'm giving this message, I know, for those of you who are watching, you say, what is the pastor talking about? Opportunities to have fellowship with one another. Opportunities to know one another. Opportunities in a local house to be able in spite. And the, the big deal about this church is we love we are different. We're different nationality. We're different culture. We're different parties. We're different in every way. But that one thing supersedes Jesus Christ, His Word, and worship to God our Father in Jesus' name. That is what brings us together. And it's so important. So as much as this opportunity is available, come, drink, and eat of the Word of life while we eat of the bread and drink a cup of coffee. Can you say amen? amen. Give the Lord a clap offering. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. 
We pray that you've been encouraged by the word of the Lord. To learn more, please visit our website, highlandny.org, or our Facebook page, Highland Church, New York. Until next time, may God richly bless you.